host of the writer's voice and my guest today is gregory wolos how are you i'm doing just fine glad to be here glad to have you now gregory is a short story writer so he's going to talk about short stories and the writing process today and he's also going to tell us his story about how he went from his former career to writing full-time but first he has a wonderful book and a wonderful book cover he's going to share with us. Why don't you tell us about that? This is the cover of my second story collection. It's Dear Everyone, and the cover is by Suzanne Riette Keith. Her husband's an, a writer friend of mine, and uh, I happened to see the painting. It's a very small painting, and actually a collage in a gallery, and I was very taken by it, and it seemed appropriate for the second collection, so uh, we spoke. And I wound up buying the painting itself. It now hangs in a proud spot in the home. And the cover speaks for itself now. You've published several anthologies of short stories, haven't you? I have two, yes. Uh, two currently published and a third will be coming out in 2021. So tell us why you chose to write short stories. I don't know if the, uh, the muse may have selected me. I didn't select it. Okay. I have always enjoyed reading short stories. Some of my favorite authors as a, as a, as a kid were uh, short story writers. Uh, as I matured as a reader, I always found that it was short stories that appealed to me. They contained the complexity of a novel, in my mind, the best ones, but they did it in obviously much less time. So they gave me a, a lot to think about in a short amount of time. So I also think that that's the way my mind works in terms of how I interpret things. I don't know if you want to call it a short attention span, but. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I was just going to say, I think you're selling yourself short. When we've been talking in the past, you've said that many of your short stories, when your first draft is thousands and thousands and thousands of words, you can have a 30,000 word first draft for a 5,000 word short story. So I think you're selling yourself short there. So maybe you can share your process of starting out with such a large manuscript and then sculpting it down. Okay. Well, yeah, sure. So the probably the, the very, very beginning would be observation. I don't know whether I was a born observer or I became one or I developed or honed the way I look at the world over the years. But my general approach to things is to, and I think this is true of a lot of writers, is to be an observer of what's going on around me. It's like the, the wallflower at the party who is like leaning on the back of the wall watching what's going on and always has a much better idea of what the party was about than the, the revelers. <laughs> Since I've been writing, my process is generally always the same. I've got now dozens of these little moleskin books now, and uh, I record things I read things I see, things I think. It's not really a diary, not really a journal. It just is uh, something I record, anything that interests me. And if I'm about to write, if it's time to write a story, which it generally is, my writing process, I begin it in the morning, usually when I'm, my brain is fresh, or maybe I've just woken up. Maybe uh, I'm on that little, uh, I'm closer to that space between waking and sleeping, dreaming that the poets uh, write about. Mm -hmm. And that's when I like to begin. My mind's the freest. My object is almost always the same. I keep a quotation of Kafka in mind, who he said, a literary work should be an ice axe to break up the frozen sea inside us. So when you're reading one of my stories, I'm, I'm going right after your frozen sea inside of you to 
to break it up and you should have a head full of slush by the time you're done reading it. <laughs> this sounds to me like I read a book, Gabrielle Rico Looser, I think it is, or Gabrielle Rico. She wrote a book called Writing the Natural Way. It, it talks about right brain, left brain. Hmm. And your process sounds to me like something she calls clustering. You get a central idea and then you just write anything like free association, anything that comes to you about that idea. And she said, in most cases, you can outline or you can, if like, if you wanted to write poetry or flash fiction or, or a scene that helps you open up your mind. So it sounds to me like you naturally have stumbled upon that right brain process of accessing what's in there. Yeah. And as you mentioned before, I'll begin and maybe I'll have an idea or think I have an idea of where I want to go with the story when I start, but it could be that it goes off in a completely different direction. So an average short story, let's say 5,000 words, 15 typed pages to those who think in terms of pages. And my first draft usually goes on to about double that, sometimes even longer, sometimes 45 pages, 50 pages. And then it's a constant process of reducing, rewriting. And usually I work on the draft freehand. I think you mentioned you, you've done that too, right? Yeah. Uh, type it up, uh, print it up and work on it freehand now. And I look for what is the, the heart of the story? What's the main thing? What grew out of this? Usually I discover that about halfway through and the rest <laughs> and the end of the story starts moving towards where I want to go. So the narrative momentum of what I'm doing on a first draft picks up somewhere halfway through, but I will rewrite and then I try to make things fit together as I go and I rewrite and I get concise, more and more concise as I go through. And you've mentioned to me that sometimes that means eliminating characters, right? Oh yeah. It's a different form of character assassination. If you're not, <laughs> if you're not important to my work, uh, get out of it. But isn't that one of the most important things about a short story is that you want to capture, if not a moment, a short period of time or one concept. And you really, it's sort of like zooming in. Yes you know, and focusing in. So you don't want extraneous characters and extraneous locations and things. That's right. And if I find an interesting character, it's not unusual for me then to pick him or her up in a different story. Another story. Uh, and connect those. The way people serialize their novels. So now you haven't always been a short story writer. You had another career before you were a full-time writer. Why don't you talk about what you did and how you made the transition? Because so many writers have their day job and they want to write full-time or they're like me. They write full-time professionally in nonfiction or trade or something. And they want to be able to work full-time in fiction or short stories. So Share that with us. Well, I'd always been interested in writing. As an undergraduate, I took a few writing courses. I even almost got off track for a time by deciding that thing I needed to do back in the uh, mid seventies was study grammar. So I, I actually was an English and linguistics major. And uh, I learned all about Noam Chomsky and transformational grammar. You know what? I, I actually went to graduate school for that my first time around in graduate school. And I realized that it was sort of a dead end. It was very interesting linguistically, but I didn't want to be a professor of linguistics. So I took a few steps back, got my master's in English ed and uh, became a high school teacher. 
wound up teaching for 31 years. I started young and uh, mm -hmm. you can retire at 55. But in the middle of that, I began writing again, particularly before my kids were born. I was very busy writing. My kids came around about the middle of all of that. Mm -hmm. Our kids, I should say. But I did go back to graduate school, first part-time, then for a year sabbatical to get my doctorate. And I started taking writing courses then. So in the late 80s, early 90s, I actually had an abbreviated writing career going then too. I published mm -hmm. a, a handful of stories, mm -hmm. had an idea of what I wanted to do later on. Then when I finally did get my doctorate, my kids had gotten to a point where they needed me to drive them places and be with them and sit in parking lots during their activities and things like that. So I made myself a promise. The promise I made myself is that when I re retired and I actually made a kind of deal with my wife, I would retire when I could, when I hit retirement age at 55 and I would work full-time on my writing then. So fast forward to 2009, finished my writing career. First thing that was done was that we partitioned off a basement room for a study and I went to work. Took me a year to get the first of my new batch of short stories published, took a year. And then after that, I've had nearly 100 stories published since 2010 and now three collections so far and two novels looking for a home. So you basically went through the same process everybody else did, just different. <laughs> yeah. Everyone well, has right. their own life story and their that's own right. way to do it. But other things come first oftentimes. I think there's few of us who just want to be a writer and don't have a relationship, don't have families, don't have jobs. And we just sit down and start writing and it works. Well, that's it. Obviously, my family is extremely important to me and they've been tremendously supportive of, uh, of what I chose to do. And uh, I have a pretty literate family who seems to like having a dad or husband or grandpa now who's a writer. That's good for you because not everybody has someone who's supportive. I think it's important. Don't you think that's why maybe writers groups and making sure that you have writer friends are so important because you need that. And I, I think it's important to have somebody who understands. You and I were talking about rejection. A lot of people don't realize that just part of the process and you need to endure yourself to the fact that it's going to happen and somebody else who's been there can help pave that way. That's it. I, I speak a lot when I, I talk about writing about there's a couple of ways that writing can be really hard. And one is being self-critical and the other is being able to resist the negativity that comes with any kind of criticism at all. Mm -hmm. So you have to be, uh, we talked about this last time we spoke a bit, you have to be both super sensitive to everything around you as an observer, uh, almost like our exposed nerve is what's mm -hmm. striking me. But at the same time, you have to be super hard and uh, protected. So that's part of what we, yeah, I, I don't know why when we're discussing this, I'm imagining one of those old diagrams of a healthy tooth. You know, it's hard on the outside, <laughs> the animal, but, but inside is where the nerve is if it's a healthy tooth. But I mean, it's true. You need to have sensitivity. You can't get rid of it, but you have to have the thick skin too. Uh, you know, otherwise you just like you said, if you're that raw exposed nerve, you just never get over the trauma of the criticism. And for young writers, I would like them to know that you also have to believe in your vision. Uh, you also have to believe in what it is you're trying to produce. I've done workshops. I've done classes. I'm a little wary about a, the, a kind of sameness that comes out of classes and workshops sometimes if there are too many voices 
discussing a particular story or suggesting what would have to be, you know, what one might do. I'm kind of a bit of a maverick and I understand the importance of getting good criticism, especially if you're not confident right away. But I like to think that I stay consistent with my own ice axe breaking up frozen sea inside of people that I have my own, own vision of what's going on. And if a publisher doesn't like it, if an editor doesn't like it, okay, there are plenty of other editors and there's plenty of other editors out there and publishers out there. You know, one of the things that you just made me think about is one of the things you learn if you're going to a workshop, you're, you're being taught how to write. Everybody talks about, oh, you need to have your own voice. Mm. And I think that you can equate that to everyday life to someone who is a basically genuine and authentic and sincere person. Mm. Some people, you see what you get. That's who they are. You know who they are right from the beginning. Not that you know every single thing they think or everything that's happened to them, but you have a true sense of who they are. And then you have other people who are very guarded and very reserved, and they keep a lot of who they are hidden. If you're one of those people, I'm guessing it's probably much harder to access your voice because you're not used to using it. That's an interesting point. I hadn't thought of that in that way. I think so. Well, let's look at it a different way. I had a friend of mine say that when I was first published, he said, well, I want you to come and I want you to, to discuss, to, to read your stories, to read your stories in our, in our reading group. And I said, well, I'm not so sure I want to do that. And he said, sure you do. You're a storyteller. You, you know, this is what you are, a storyteller. And I am a bit of an introvert. So sometimes I think that, you know, I'm, I'm not as apt to speak in a social group. Right. But my voice comes out in my writing. So that's where my voice, where well, I can show, show off my voice. And I think that is the other thing. And that may be why some writers are so good because when they write, they do allow access to it. And I think depending upon your personality doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to use that voice when you write, but you need to. Yeah. So sometimes it's consistent with your external personality and sometimes it's just the opposite. You know, a lot of people see me and I'm loud and I'm sociable and you know, I can walk up to a stranger and talk to them and be comfortable. So they think I'm an extrovert but they don't know if I'd rather be home by myself and not talking to people. And not that I don't like people, but I like people when I want to be with them and under my terms and I like it in small groups. So again, it's, it's one of those things where everyone's different. And I think that as a writer, you, know, you obviously found what worked for you and the short stories is what makes you happy. And probably because you're happy, you're good at what you're doing and it's all related. So I think that you know, a lot of people, when they start writing, they shouldn't just assume that they should write a book or that they should write in a certain genre or that they should write a short story instead of something else. Because Right. You never know what's going to come out. And, uh, you know, I, I know that way, way, way back when I was in high school, I wrote some poetry and I, you know, I can remember some of them and they weren't very good, but that was my first access to wanting to be, to do some kind of writing, just to get it out and express myself. Now, if I write, let's say, a series of stories about similar characters or about a similar setting, I'm trying to combine them into novels. But let's see if that works as a novel. And I'm, I'm not sure that I, I'm not sure I totally get what a novel is. And I prefer, <laughs> and I prefer not to call what I do novels and stories. You know what I mean? There are people yeah. who say, yeah, this is a novel and story. It seems to me that that's just a, 
another way of saying, well, I have a story collection here of two closely related stories. I mean, a novel, you know, I, I taught novels. I know what they're supposed to be. I know that yeah. they're big things that are about big idea and that move in a, a single direction. You don't identify with them, obviously, on a personal level. Right. And I don't know that I accomplished that as I shift stories around and, and mold stories uh, into closer connection with one another so that it, they do complete a, a novel. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe uh, I think of a, the novel more as, for me, as like a tornado. And you know, how we, when you see depictions of tornadoes, there's like a barn sticking out of one side of it and a horse on the other side and like, you know, something tree else. somewhere, out. yeah. That's, yeah, exactly. And that's how I think my novels actually come out. There are tornadoes, so they're one thing, but there's a lot of things spinning there's around. a lot of chaos in there. <laughs> but you know, that's the thing I think everybody needs to find what they want. I've attempted several short stories and haven't gone anywhere. The second, the very second one I ever wrote, just kind of wrote itself. And I placed in the one of the Writers Digest annual short story competitions, and it was published in their anthology. So I obviously can do it, but I obviously also need to have the complete idea for the story. I, I, actually, I don't know what I did. I know I was tapping into an emotion. So again, it's one of those things where at some point in time, I'll probably want to devote some time to that. Like I said, maybe I'm never meant to write another short story. Maybe you're not meant to write a novel, but if you're happy doing what you're doing. It's funny what you say, uh, because I have had stories, you know, uh, that have written themselves, a few, uh, yeah. usually shorter stories uh, yeah. in, in uh, between two and 3,000 words, you know, yeah. uh, eight to 10 or 12 pages where the is born whole. It requires a heck of a lot of editing. <laughs> Yeah, for me, yeah. but but yeah, that was yeah. that well, was the yeah, way it always, is. Always, there's going to be editing, but sometimes yeah. they just come out yeah. a lot quicker. But usually, that whole process of revising and, and and editing for me it takes about a month and a half of what I consider full time work to yeah. produce a story. Well, I think if anyone can have a takeaway from what you've shared today, is everybody has their own process and. You need mm -hmm. to discover what that is and you need to try different things to figure out what that is. Now, tell us a little bit about what you've got coming out uh, this year. Okay. Well, the fiction collection that's coming out this year is a collection called The Thing About Men. I'll have to back up to the my other collections first, tell you about what's going on with The Thing About Men. The first collection I did is uh, Women of Consequence. And it's my first book. And as a writer, and especially as a short story writer, you want to have a book. <laughs> you want to have a book where all the stories are yours. And the book has just your name on the cover along with the title. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking for a long time, how am I going to do this with all of my stories? I had a ton of stories ready to go. And I started to, set, to try to think about different collections. Well, maybe, maybe one about road trips, because a lot of my stories take place on the road. Maybe a maybe parenthood, because that connects some stories. And then I said, well, wait a minute. How about women? Because a lot of my stories are told from the point of view of women, which is often for me problematic when I have to do a reading because I don't know exactly what kind of voice to put on while I'm reading a character's inner thoughts. And it's, it's a woman uh -huh. from the point of view of a woman. But the characters that I wrote about in the initial story, this was this, this, the collection that came out in 2019, just a couple of years ago, when I decided to write about women, I realized what the similarity was among the stories. The thing that connected them was not just that they were about women, but they were about women of some consequence. 
And why were they of consequence? Well, they were mothers, they were wives, they were employees, they were young and they were old, but they were they all had something else in common. They all exceeded a boundary. They went too far with something. I've got a story about uh, a mother who decides that she can protect her son best if she keeps him safe in the house. And the way she does that is convince him that his senses are too weak for him to work in the world. Uh, you don't see well enough. You don't understand colors. You don't understand sounds or smells. She blunted his life for him and suggested it had to do with his own perceptions. And that way she could sort of keep him imprisoned in his own house. It was a kind of a kind of Munchausen syndrome, yeah. but really it exceeded that. It was almost like a psychological game she played yes. in stories yes. about how the narrator emerges from that, that sort of prison his mother had created for him. Mm -hmm. So that's an example of a kind of boundary that could be exceeded. I have a uh, mm -hmm. Meals on Wheels driver who has an eating disorder and survives on selecting bits and pieces from the meals of the people she's delivering to. Okay. That kind of things to me. Okay. Okay. What I think about. So that collection is full of women. I finished that collection and then I put together another collection to match it, which mm -hmm. is the thing about men. Now okay. the irony of the title is there is no one thing about men. There's <laughs> a lot of different things about men, mm -hmm. but they are fairly intense in the same way of boundary crossing as with women. But many of the stories are in the thing about men, which is the new collection, are actually like a, the other side of a diptych. They're a reflection of another story that's in the women of consequence story. So it almost seemed like a natural collection. And, and it's, it's actually one of the better collections. It's got most of the, well, a, a higher proportion of the prize-winning stories that I've had are, are in uh, the thing about men. Now you may ask, where does Dear Everyone fit in? <laughs> uh -huh. But really, it's actually the third collection. Mm -hmm. It just happened to get published second. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say it's full of leftover stories, because it's not, but it's full of stories that didn't exactly fit into the other two collections. Maybe that's, that's why the title is like Dear Everyone. But, it, that, uh, but that's good. I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. So the thing about men is coming out in the spring, did you tell me? Oh, uh, it's coming out sometimes in this year. Okay. The uh, Trevena Barva Press, Gloria Mindock is, is the editor there, uh -huh. has not given me a specific time yet. I actually hope it's later in 2021. Mm -hmm. The reason being is I, uh, while I am willing to do Zoom readings and Zoom conferences, I also really like, I guess that's the old teacher in me, I actually like to face a, a real audience and be yeah. in front of a, a group so at bookstores yeah. and other places. So when you get the date, let me know. We can let everybody know. No, people can find you online at your website, gregorywolos.com. Is that right? That's correct. Are you on um, social media at all? Facebook or Twitter or any of that I have stuff? A Twitter account. My Facebook account, really, I don't list much on. Okay. What is your Twitter handle or whatever they it call is, it? It uh, is at Gregory Wolos. Okay. Not, not too complicated. Okay, there you go. That's who you are. Well, thanks for chatting with me today. It's been fun, and I will hope to see you again in the future. Yeah, I enjoyed this very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.